0: The Jewish Trauma Network provides education, guidance, and inspiration to individuals and families suffering from trauma to help them create a better life of connection and self-actualization. I'm your host, Dr. Yosef Tropper, and my greatest wish is to bring calmness, hope, and success to your life. All right, welcome everybody. I have with me a very good friend of mine, Shmuel Luger, and our title today is "Gap Year Growth: The Emotional Landscape of Learning and Healing in Eretz Yisrael." Thank you so much, Shmuel, for being here with me today. Thank you for having me. I want to start off with a quick bio, and then we'll hop right into it. And for those of you that are turned off by, oh, I don't want to hear from a rabbi, I don't blame you, but I promise you it's worth your time, because for me, yes, I have tremendous respect, and it's Rabbi Shmuel Luger, but for me, Shmuel and I are very good friends, and we go back a long time, and I really think you're going to gain a lot from hearing from his wisdom. And he, him and his wife, what they do for the Kuali is just absolutely amazing. So let me read his bio, and then we will kick in. Armed with a wealth of experience, Rav Shmuel Luger has been on the front lines of changing the landscape of Chinuch. In addition to focusing on building students from the ground up, taking personal responsibility to imbue them with a solid foundation in Yiddishkeit, Luger encourages evidence-based therapeutic mediums such as mindfulness, 12-step recovery, and more in the yeshiva and private settings. You could contact him at vishachanti.com, which we'll put in the show notes or via email at office at Thank you so much, Rav Shmuel, for being here with me today. Thank you. So just so our audience can understand, you've been the Rosh Shiva of, of, of this yeshiva called the Shachanti, which is located in, in Eretz Yisrael. Could you tell us about what the yeshiva is and how you got involved or how you started it?
1: I go back a, a ways to a Rebbe of I spoke, I want to say about 17 years ago in America. And he was talking about chinuch in general. I think he was speaking to parents. I don't think it was really about going to yeshiva. I think he was just speaking about chinuch in general. And he said that in chinuch, in yeshivas, there are three types of students. Fleshig, milchig, and parv. Fleshig is the good kid, follows the rules, does what he's supposed to do, etc. The milchig kid is the rebel, the classic at-risk kid. And the parv kid is someone who basically goes along with the moves, but there's no real fire in him. He said that Mechanchim want to deal with two types, the fleshig and the milchig. No one wants to work with the power of type, And that was really, he continued speaking. That wasn't like the entirety of his speech, but everyone was just, yeah, makes sense. And if you look at yeshivas in general, most everybody that I'm aware of starts off in the mainstream types of yeshivas, which are basically catering towards fleshig or upper level kinds of students. Maybe the average, but for the most part, it's for someone who's invested. When someone washes out, then they end up in an at-risk place. But there really isn't anything that's catering towards someone who is in the power of category. And therefore, it's, in my estimation, the most underrepresented area within Chinuch. And after uh, I came, made Al-Yan came to Eretz uh, I was learning in Kolal for a couple of years, and I was dealing with Yeshiva had asked me to help out with some of the most uh, difficult cases uh, that they had. And that led to me going and working for Rabbi Fisher's yeshiva, uh, Moshe Matisio, and then opening a yeshiva for him the following year in the Old City. And what I saw was that many students that we dealt with, not just from Fisher's, but students I dealt with when I was in the friends of mine that I'd seen growing up, etc., a lot of kids who ended up in the at-risk type of system are wildly successful once they get uh, turned, for lack of a better term, and they get connected. So those kids are successful. But a lot of the rest of them, it's just the the fire doesn't catch them. And when they leave, they're in a worse place than they were beforehand. And why is that? And we're, who is to blame for this thing? Why, why aren't we addressing that? And okay. I started developing some theories. Sure.
0: I, I just want to digest that. In the flesh get milk again, parv, it's very fascinating. It's, that's a very uh, male focus. The meat is the good stuff and the milk again, who wants that? Uh, right. it, so it's just... It but delicious. It, exactly. So I guess, did he explain or do you have an explanation as to why that is? I understand why people uh, build a yeshiva for the flashing They want, it's like, I want honorable people. And uh, when, I, when I did partners in Torah, I was like offended because the the guy that they sent me who's a good friend of mine and i we, we talked about this like he was showing me to shop us already and like, i understand why people want the, the low as well because i want to have like, this crazy victory and really this, this person that i learned with has taught me you know so much about life so i understand why people want the elitist and i understand a little bit why people want the the bottom but i guess is it that the power of people get like just washed away because they don't fit into either category
1: i i can't say definitively or even generally what it is i think because when you start off, no one, I, I don't think anybody's really in the power of category. At some point or another, you really started off uh, Fleshek. Like no one starts out milkic. Everyone's starting out Fleshek. Then it's just a question of what is it that set you in the other direction? For milking people, it could be something of a defiance. It could be something happened, trauma at home, et cetera. For par of people, I want to say that it's being ignored. You're easy and you're just going along, and you're following along with what's being said, and at some point or another, you just fall into this routine that is like comfortable. So you go along, you're trying to avoid the trouble, but because you're so comfortable, your personality never really has a chance to shine, and never really has a chance to develop. And gotcha. since there aren't really these par of types of institutions, it just becomes further and further entrenched in the person, And many people who even don't end up in the at-risk places are also part in some of the best yeshivas you've heard of. So I I really think that it comes to some extent from being overlooked and not really being properly engaged and people not asking questions of who are you and what you want to do, which we'll discuss later.
0: Okay, amazing. So basically, the yeshiva that you have, which we're calling this the gap year growth, which is, I'm assuming these are guys coming from America mostly or so, is that...
1: Coming from America, but it's not a first year program,
0: not a first year program. So what's the how many guys and what's the age range? Just basic stats. Twenty, uh,
1: twenty to I want to say thirty two uh, age range. And oh, wow. there are currently thirty, thirty five people are coming and learning with us on a weekly basis.
0: Amazing. Beautiful. Beautiful. So these people, obviously some of them are not just looking for the gap, the classic gap year of like, I just graduated high school and I want to take off. They probably have been through a journey already. So what kind of wounds are they coming in with? And maybe not even necessarily them, just people that you're working with or the, the underserved part of group, what have they been through emotionally?
1: That's yeah, a pretty wide gamut. I think it's hard to really pinpoint one thing, but common things that we see from people who've gone to yeshivas, they went to a good portion, went to what's considered very good yeshivas, not stom like mainstream, but like very good yeshivas. And there are also, and it's interesting, I think originally when they came and interviewed, or when we started getting the first group coming from these very good yeshivas, I think it was a little bit confusing or perplexing to some of our staff. And we also see people who've been through, and With that, there's plenty of pressure. So you see a lot of anxiety, not really any ADHD. These are people who are ready to work, but they haven't really figured out how or why. And there's generally a lot of anxiety attached to people coming from these high-end yeshivas. For people coming from more at-risk type places or who went to more at-risk places, their confidence is much higher. But the ADHD and general acceptance and defiance is another common are common symptoms that we find with the students coming from those types of places. And for guys who are coming from working, coming to Israel from a couple years of having been out, there's also these measures. I wanna to say to some extent it's neglect, sometimes PTSD, but generally there's a, a lack of acceptance they found in their lives that they are trying to regroup and get uh, from coming to yeshiva this is general things, it's not specific. Uh, obviously, there's changes, uh, with anybody coming in uh, on their own individual level.
0: Gotcha. So, it's a very fascinating demographic because age wise, you're not starting off right at the beginning, probably because mm-hmm. at that point, the people are either in the, re- the, the rehab quote unquote yeshiva or the elitist yeshiva. I hate those terms because they're so general and they're not so respectful and fair, but. We understand what we mean, the, the shake and the Milky Ones. But then it's coming out and they're 20 years old and either some of them were in those top yeshivas and they just weren't feeling fulfilled for whatever reasons, or some of them were coming from the lower ones and now they want something more. Or like you said, some of them are, are working. So I guess, what's your mission statement? What are you trying to help them? What are you trying to do in your yeshiva? I know you have a lot of very diverse programs and, and things that you teach, which I'm very fascinated by.
1: So we're not... Interestingly, what you said is not, that's not why we don't have first-year guys. The reason is because the biggest issue that I've found, and this applies to everybody, uh, I think across the board, the main issue that this generation is facing is self-esteem. And I've spoken to many Big Red Bottom about this, almost unanimously, everyone's in agreement, the issue is self-esteem. The first thing that we're trying to do is build someone's self-esteem. In order to do that, there has to be self, right? It has to be that you're making the decisions. How are we different than virtually any other institution? And a big part of that is by putting all of our students in the driver's seat. We don't wake anybody up and we don't take attendance. And it has to come from you. One of our mottos is I can't be more invested in you than you are in yourself. And if you're going to do something, if someone wants a filter on their phone or someone wants something else, generally speaking, I'll pay for 49%, but I won't pay anymore. You have to show me that you're in it and you have just as much blood in the game, skin in the game, whatever the term is, as anybody else, maybe blood too, but blood, sweat and tears, but skin, right? So you have to have as much skin in the game as I do, if not more, because this is your life and it has to be personal. It has to be something that you're willing to fight for. And if you're waiting for us to do the work for you, you have not built self-esteem. You have someone else sitting there patting you on the back going you're worth it let's do this so i, I am very invested all the rebam are very invested but i need you to be invested more than anybody else that doesn't work if you're 18. it doesn't really work if you're 18 19 there's a certain level of maturity and responsibility that you need to have exactly. and quite frankly people coming in older many times uh, struggle with this but when they do get it and put this foundation in place they're able to take it with them the rest of their lives. The person's biggest strength or the biggest constant is themselves. No matter where you go in life, you're taking yourself with you. So we want to build that foundation as strong as possible. And that comes from putting you in the driver's seat. And we're here to ride with you either as your GPS or in the passenger seat. But it's got to be that you're in the driver's seat. So the mission statement is basically building people no matter where they are to where they're going. Um, so our approach is basically a future-centered approach. I don't really care what you've done. I care about where you're going. And I want you to buy into your own future vision and get people to start dreaming and start working towards what they want. And obviously, plans are going to change and things are going to come up. But I want you thinking about what you're going to do in the future and start respecting yourself as such and acting Along those paths, whether it's in terms of how you dress, how you talk, how you learn, what you're doing, your schedule, etc. I want you fully invested in believing who you can become rather than a product. You're speaking about trauma of what you've been through in the past, because pain basically pulls you inwards. If you stub your toe, the entire world stops. And the only thing that matters is your toe. The bigger the pain, the more inwardly you're focused, the less the outside world exists for you. So I'm trying to open that up and move past the trauma through action to get them to think about what's going to happen uh in the future and what they'd like to make happen and basically open up from that pain to something bigger while also addressing the pain as well.
0: Beautiful, beautiful, amazing. There are two things I want to double-click on. One is the past and one is the present. Maybe let's go backwards for a sec. So when you're mentioning the traumas that they've been through, again, one of my focuses here is just normalizing that that conversation. Is there anything specific that you're seeing in your work with people in your yeshiva, outside your yeshiva? I understand you're still involved with many yeshiva guys that are coming to you for guidance, whether they're 18 or 20 or in their 30s or they're or trying to get married or married and coming to you with all different types of things or kind issues as well, which is going to be the present that I want to come back to. But what is it that they've been through, so to speak? Is there a certain pattern of things that they went through, whether it's addiction issues, family issues. What, basically what I'm asking is what's eating their self-esteem? It's a good
1: question. I think that there's definitely the usual suspects, challenging family situations. I think that the social structure, I think in schools, uh, people who are uh, excelling, I think in America, it's more prevalent. How good you are at sports is, you know, something that belies a certain social standing within schools, et cetera. I think that the labels that apply to you are from an early age. You're a nerd, you're studious, you're a good kid, you're a rebel, you're whatever. I think these things play a very big part in where people have gone and the journeys that they've taken, how susceptible they are to things that they've given into. For the most part, if I see someone who will not change the way that they dress uh, interestingly, Whatever the circumstances are, they're pretty consistent in how they dress and they don't give in. Uh, Very big indicator of the level of self-esteem that they have. And I'm not talking about going in with a white shirt and black pants or anything like that. I have a guy who's one of the best guys we have in yeshiva, wears a a sweatshirt. I don't know if it's jeans, but whatever, hand pants, something like that and boots every single day and you're not throwing this guy off at all he's not giving in on anything if someone is stable i think in how their outward appearance is it's definitely a good reflection of what's going on inside beyond that there's definitely different types of abuse that people have been through i have not found that any one specific thing makes a bigger difference than others uh, with the exception of sexual abuse that people have been through. But otherwise, I think that almost all the rest of the types of abuse are uh, can be equally damaging. Um, and family dynamics is another big one, and definitely addiction issues, um, regardless of whether it's uh, drinking, drugs, uh, etc., or being addicted to your phone or something of, of that nature, which is less commonly sent to rehab for.
0: Got it. Okay. Amazing. So I want to double click also on the second thing uh, for the present. And I think you mentioned earlier that we were going to come back to this, I, I think is what you're referring to. So just looking at the schedule that you guys have. So there's Gemara B'in, which is a regular yeshiva. Then there's halacha, which is amazing that you're teaching them how to be able to read and understand. And it's in Hebrew, which helps them understand how to digest. Them. I'm sure you have a lot to say on that. There's Hasidus, And then you have these very fascinating workshops divided where there's personal development time, shalom bias, home finance, dating 101, Parsha shavua, and then you have coaching on career guidance, proofs of Judaism, knocktails, finance, the chill. These are phenomenal things. I'm just wondering, like, I appreciate them. Did you get any fee- and weekly VOD where there's a conversation and so much more that I'm sure I'm leaving off, but that's just what I've seen. Did you get any pushback on that? Oh, that's not the standard yeshiva schedule or what are you doing?
1: I th- Not as much as you'd think. The truth is that everything that we do is I come up with a schedule or a different plan or different things and we're constantly evolving. But anything that I do is basically feeling the pulse of where the everyone in yeshiva is at and it's okay, we need to do this. so let's make a change. It doesn't matter if it's the beginning of this month, middle of this month, end of this month, we're addressing people here. We're not trying to build our own reputation as we're putting out the the best, that we have the best reputation for having the best camaraderie. We want to have a reputation for putting out the best people. We're we're not like advertising that either, but I want people to come out being successful. And everything that I do, I run past my Revy. And my Revy also told me that you're, to put it, to really try to sum it up, what he'd said was you don't try to put out people who are 60th or 70th percentile. You want to put out people who are 90 and above. And that means making changes constantly. Right now, we don't have a Gemara uh, B'e'on shear. There isn't a demand for it. We do have people learning Gemara. Some people are holding on a higher level. Bar Hashem, we have uh, revelbaz who's noted Tamar Chacham and who's able to give shear on anything. Sometimes he'll ask me for a couple minutes preparation, but otherwise he can walk in and give a shear on almost anything. Maybe. So having the shir is not is it's really just relative to where our Bahram and Avreichim people who got married in yeshiva and still live locally. Coming, where are they actually holding? And therefore, we even started something recently: what you should know program that basically covers practical halacha, but in a different approach, basically very interactive, where people are able to see themselves and try to run through like the day of things that are going to come up, as well as see the shloshes but these are things that no one really wants to address, I think, in most yeshivas. When I spoke to my rebbe. he said that someone said they don't know. He asked someone, who wrote the Hillam? The person was like, "Shlomo Hamelach." It was like, close. But this isn't a very good yeshiva. There's so much information in general that we're missing. I want to destigmatize being ignorant of something and just saying, let's talk where everybody actually is. There hasn't really been pushback. Because if anybody was going to ask a question, I'd say, okay, so go ask them where they're actually holding or look at what the attendance is actually like at different classes. And then you have a feel for what the actual demand is.
0: Yeah, amazing, amazing. And how would you say, how are people receiving this yeshiva internally? Just like the guys are in the yeshiva. How are they doing?
1: Barak Hashem, amazing. You're able to see growth, but from, I believe, almost everybody, the more invested someone is, the more successful they are. And interestingly, I use a muscle perhaps. There was a man who was fighting in the UFC. He was trying to get a contract in the UFC, mixed martial arts. And the president of the UFC basically made an announcement that someone who was supposed to fight basically wasn't able to fight. So he said, we have to figure out who the next opponent's going to be. Someone who had already fought and lost actually approached the president and he said to him, I want the fight. And the president of the UFC said to him, like I, from me coming uh, from home and she thinks like, that's not fair. Other people didn't fight yet. Give them a turn, whatever. But the president of the UFC said, you want the fight? And the guy said, yeah. He said, you have the fight. So if someone's so it, I, it like turned something in my brain that's just like, yeah, that's who I want to be coming in. It's a fleshig or attitude, but it's someone who's going to come in and challenge what you're saying. If someone's going to challenge what you're saying or doing, that's someone who's going to get better. That's someone who can improve. That's someone who has a dog in the fight. If they're just sitting there waiting for you to do something for them, their the trajectory doesn't look anywhere near as promising. So if you find so in general, we actually are very into analytics and data. So we track when someone came in, where they came from, how old they were, how long they've been in yeshiva, how long they've been out of yeshiva, and how long did it take for them to be successful and look at what the uh what the recipe for success is. It doesn't mean we turn other people away, but it gives us a better framework of when are we supposed to get more involved and when should we take a step back? And so, do so can, you take me,
0: well. can you take me through that process? I'm very fascinated by this. So basically what you described was that one of the main issues is people having a low self-esteem yeah. and it's hard to help people when they're in their 18, 19, immature, and they're not self-driven and they don't fully take responsibility for their lives. But around 9, 20 is a good age where You know, that's your optimal student, which makes perfect sense. It it answers to me why you didn't start earlier. You know, do preventative work. You're really, you are doing the earliest you can. Makes sense. So a guy comes in and he has a very low self-esteem, as you could tell. Do you screen for what you've been through? Like, how do you get that information from them? You could tell, obviously, they weren't successful. And what's the trajectory? Like, how long do they stay in the yeshiva? We talked about the healing process. Like, what's the process of healing that they have? Like, from start to finish, so to speak, in your yeshiva?
1: So going back a, a bit to what you said, we would theoretically work with 1819, but the approach would be different. The, in regards to not being successful, I uh, disagree on that one as well. Uh, in fact, it's one of the main things that I am looking for when I'm speaking to someone. You wanting to give things up and come to yeshiva and whatever it is, there's always going to be a sacrifice involved, whether you're coming from a very good yeshiva whether you're taking a step up in terms of the quality and learning or whatever it may be, giving up a job and making money to come to Israel. There there are tremendous sacrifices involved, and I consider most of those things to be a success, and it's something I remind them of. You have to have a starting point when it comes to building the self-esteem. In terms of how long someone's coming for, I think also influences the goals and what we're trying to accomplish, but again, it has to be them in the driver's seat. There's someone who came to Yeshiva, as an example, for five weeks. And I'm not going to say that much about it, but he had a tremendous amount of trauma that he'd gone through. He'd moved different countries, went through terrible abuse that completely changed his life, and it, it just devastating. And he was holding in a re- really bad place. So it took him a good amount of time till he came to Israel. When he came, he basically we sat for, we basically sat and learned every day, Yeshiva was smaller then. We had more flexibility and time to be able to sit and meet like that. He was given a good amount of acceptance and encouragement, uh, but definitely space. And we worked five weeks. And then he from the first day he came and he was like, I'm out of here. I don't know why I did this. I had a job. I was making money. And he stayed five weeks. And then he went back. And his life completely changed. Now, would he have benefited from being in yeshiva for longer? For sure we still keep up we speak probably once a month there was a point where we were speaking every couple of weeks uh we have a very close relationship but he definitely would have benefited more from being in Yeshiva however my goal uh when he came and me speaking with him there was really just to move past a lot of that trauma and see that uh, it doesn't have to be the way that he himself was raised and his life has completely changed from where he was to where he is now and it's not just credit to us it's we gave him an opening to be able to continue develop and move on. I was surprised when our students started getting engaged and getting married, and they told us that they were looking for apartments locally, and they're still here. Not because they don't want to be in Israel. So it's not something that's limited. It's about building a relationship and where you're going to benefit the most from. But most of our students who've, who have gone back and are now alumni still are checking in and reaching out to uh, our to BAM for guidance up to and including what kind of car should I buy? Which is very interesting because we don't know cars, <laughs> but it's, but like a you have to be able to leave between the lines. No, yeah. they were asking about for Shadokim, wanted uh-huh. a sportier car, but how would it look in terms of Shadokim? And should he get the this car or should he get the other car? And so if you already called me, you already know the answer, but it's a discussion. What does it say about you and the psychology and just the, in general, moving on from your dreams in a more mature direction, so it, it never really stops the Rebbe Talmud type of relationship.
0: Yeah, amazing. A couple more questions for you, Shmuel. And then I'll invite you to, if you have any general comments. But I've known you for two plus decades, which is amazing. And I, I consider you a very dear friend in many ways. And one of the things that I know about you is that you're one of the most, you're one of the most intellectually honest people and stubborn slash driven people I know. So I know you're putting your heart and soul into this yeshiva and the guys know it. And you know the people that, that, that are there know it. And I know that you're really giving these students so much. You, your wife, your whole family is part of this yeshiva. I want to ask you just for advice about how you take care of yourself, because there's just so much going on in this yeshiva, and there's so much balance of work, life, and and Torah, and I feel like you have a lot to give in this way as well.
1: It's a big thing that we discuss. First of all, thank you. But it's a big topic of discussion within yeshiva itself about finding a proper balance. I think there's three main components for every from man's life, your career, your Torah and your spirituality and your connection to Hashem and your family life. Yeah. And chiyas versus the actual breakdown. This is a hours and hours long seminar and discussion that we have in yeshiva itself, but there's going to be something that gives you more chias than the others. But there's also, you have to prioritize because you don't want the other things to fall off. Sleep is also very important. Self-care, et cetera. I have this broken down into short-term things four short-term things that a person should be doing every single day. And the three short, the three long-term things that a person needs to have as the puzzle of their life. I'll leave that aside unless you have roughly three weeks right now to go through it. But gotcha. basically, basically a course. It's, it's not necessarily even something that we've put out there. It's something that we're working through with everybody. But in terms of my own, my own personal life, I think that there's, I, I benefited from my own uh, mistakes uh, in the past. Uh, and that is that I, I worked when I was in my early 20s in a uh, nonprofit with uh, adults with uh, special needs. And I got basically a promotion promoted pretty early, got promoted again. And I think I put in a position of management. And even though I was very good at my job, I believe I didn't have the maturity or the balance necessary to be able to do the job without throwing myself completely into it and ignoring every other area of my life. And I got incredibly sick, as you likely remember. And one of the big things that I saw coming back, because I I automatically can get swept up in work uh, and things like that, I, I didn't have a family at the time. So I prioritize being home with my family as much as I can, and making sure that I'm home for dinner, spending time with my wife and with my kids, uh, I definitely would expect my wife to say that I don't spend enough time with them and we don't get enough time to speak but I would agree with her and but it's work definitely in progress, something
0: that, like all of us
1: yeah but at the same time it, it's something that grounds me the most I also have my own personal goals and my own things that I want to do whether I actually get to do them or not is less important than the fact that I'm constantly trying to set goals and trying to do more and more And it's also something that I speak about in yeshiva itself. However, the work that I get and see uh, within the yeshiva and the growth that uh, the Bahram and the community and everybody around us has is an unbelievably rewarding thing that allows me to keep going to work and overtake all the the things that are not as positive that come up in yeshiva as well. So just having that balance and being able to prioritize all of these things gives me that sense of fulfillment that I don't do well with taking breaks. We've discussed this as well. If it's good for me today, it's good for me in the long term. There's times I need more sleep. There's times I need to go for a run, clear my head, shut my phone off, something like that. But otherwise, I have an amazing balance and I get tremendous satisfaction from all three years of my life. And I'm very grateful and very blessed. I have a lot of cards to touch on for that.
0: Amazing. Beautiful. And there are many people that are well aware that especially men, need to be active in order to be fulfilled. And Batala, Maybellide, Shamom, and other things. So being active is really important. So thank you for sharing that. I want to leave off with two more questions for you. And, and really, this has been very insightful. My first question is, I know that you guys have a lot of focus on mental health, but we collaborate elaborate that. I know Yoshiva, for example, has an affiliation with Dr. Jacob or Yaakov Friedman, who's a very prominent psychiatrist. I know he speaks very highly of you and what you're doing. We're not talking about like the medical component, which obviously he's involved with many referrals from yeshivas, but he has a presence in the yeshiva and people know him as a normal, great person. And he's really tremendously impacting. And just how do you guys deal with mental health in in, in, in your in, in your yeshiva?
1: It's, it's a very good question. The, the yeshiva that I started in the old city was a therapeutic program. This isn't necessarily a therapeutic program, but there's so much stuff that there's so much to benefit from therapy, psychology in general, behavioral science, et cetera, that just, I'd love all of those things. So uh, I'm a very big proponent of 12-step programs. I think it's beneficial to everybody, whether you're an addict or not, to know and understand what's going on in the 12 steps. All of the Tversky Torah that's out there, I think, is very beneficial, and we speak about these things a lot. Going to talk therapy, working through the past and trauma and stuff like that is very beneficial. It's something we encourage everybody if there's an issue that comes up. On my own end, in Yeshiva, we try to do... Many group-type activities to cover different modalities of group therapy, etc., to try to cover social understandings, what's happening, as well as marriage counseling, certain DBT practices, CBT, ACT, breathwork, mindfulness. I think mindfulness is probably the biggest, and breathwork, just being really connected. So we're big believers in almost all these things across the board, but there is no substitution for both having a Rebbe, someone that you're open to and you're able to be vulnerable with, and having a therapist if are, are experiencing anxiety, depression, etc., to make sure that you're taking care of yourself and that self-care is addressed.
0: Amazing. Beautiful. That last question for you. If people have questions or they want to follow up with you, is the best way to reach you what, that contact info that I share, the Vishakhanti website? That or my WhatsApp, I think. You want to show yeah. your phone number? Sure. OK, you want to read that off to me and I'll put it in, in the show notes. Plus nine, seven, two, nine, seven, two. That's Israel. Five eight mm-hmm. six two nine eight two five nine. nine. Eight,
1: two, five,
0: nine. Amazing. Thank you so much. Just concluding thought on my end and then I'll, I'll let you leave off as well. I think what you're doing is amazing. And there's always been a need for this. And I know you've been on the landscape and in, in Eretz Israel for over two decades. That, that, that's where we met. And we both have had different journeys in between that time, but it's really very gratifying to see how much you're doing for kal in the, in this beautiful yeshiva. And you can see the fruits of your labor that these kids that are coming in needed this place and are really benefiting tremendously from the relationship that, that you're creating with them. So on behalf of kal thank you. And it's, there's just, there's so much healing and there's so much health here. Any inspiring stories or thoughts or, or any ideas that you want to just leave us off with?
1: I'm sure. But <laughs> I think that, I think the big thing is that when you come to Eretz Israel for yeshiva or a really base measure, it's an opportunity for a person to be able to build themselves. It's like the first time you're out of your parent's station, besides for going to camp and you're able to really explore and build your own identity, And it's something you have to really be smart about. And when I came to Israel, I was 17. I was a total mess, as you well remember. And the people who were in yeshiva, in in Simcha, I don't know why they looked out for me. I was completely out of my mind. Uh, I'm not sure how much has changed since then, but completely out of my mind. And uh, you looked out for me, especially. And the relationship that I have with my Baim from when I was in yeshiva to this day is something that has made the biggest impact on my life. And those are the people, if someone asks me what yeshiva I went to, even though it's not a yeshiva I went to for an especially long period of time, but I consider myself someone who went to Torah like that's at the, the top of the list. And that's nothing against other yeshivas I went to. I have an incredibly big influence uh, on yeshiva by us is from Shari Yashiv, a Freifeld, yep. and I'm a very proud Shari Yashiv alumnus. And every time in America, in that area, I'm going to Shari Yashiv and speaking to the Rosh Yeshiva, et cetera. But uh,
0: you have a relationship with many people in away with uh on Feiner, and, and many great people
1: there. Baruch Hashem, I'm, I'm so good to know many great people, but the people when I was starting out and building uh, my own identity in almost all the wrong ways, but the people who were looking out for me are the people who I still hold to a very large extent as the most near and dear uh, to my heart, and the people who were trying to tell me, even if it was hard truths, to be able to work on and address. And I have tremendous car stuff to you, uh, for that, you specifically, always been there that I'm able to speak to and uh, reach out, whatever the question is, sometimes sending you 10-minute voice notes, etc., on whatever it is that's, that's happening, which possibly is a fence that should be locked up. I forget the, the English terms for this, but uh, this is uh, definitely an offense and things that uh, I do, but it, it's so important to have a, a good Sviva. if you're going to Israel as a, a student or any place that you're starting over, it, it doesn't make a difference like necessarily where you're going so much as, are you invested in it? And are you willing to move past the things that happened? There's only, I believe, less than half, uh, I've seen a number as low as 27% of people who go to college are actually working in the field that they studied and majored in. That's a tremendous expense that you basically flush down the toilet. You're not using the thing you got educated for, but it's not something to be embarrassed about. The important thing is getting up, dusting yourself off and pursuing happiness and meaning uh, in your own life. And if you're willing to do that, you're going to, you are successful today and you're going to be successful in the long term. So, no matter it is where you're holding, if that's the attitude, even if it's someone who's a parent, whoever the case is of uh, who you're speaking to, if you see that your child or you yourself are pursuing bettering yourself and moving on from the things that happen in your life, you're already successful and you're going to be successful beyond anything you're able to think of right now. And for parents in general, sending their children to Israel nervous. What's going to happen over there? Checking in with your child, whether you think they're being as forthcoming or not is great. But the same fighter mentality that I mentioned with the UFC is if you're invested in your child, reach out to the people that are in touch with your child. Don't push them, encourage them, send them gifts. If necessary, I'm not saying that is a plug for myself, but definitely list my uh, home address. No, it's not like that, but I'm saying that you want to be in touch and try to hold those people accountable. If someone's trying to avoid you or they're not necessarily, they're not answering, but I'm saying if they're trying to avoid you or skirt around the issues, it it might not be a great fit for what's best for your child. You should definitely want to be around people who want to be held accountable. And it's an attitude I myself try to take and have that I say, this is what I say I'm able to do. I want you to hold me accountable to it. However, I also have an advantage with that in saying that you have to do a lot of the work. And yeah. if the student isn't doing the work, then I'm able to say, but he's not matching the energy. However, if they say, I want this, I really have to be on my A game and I want to have my back against the wall in that regard. And for me, that's also a success. And one of the reasons that I think we've seen so much success over the years in Yeshiva, because the attitude is excellence and as close to perfection as we're able to get across the board. And thanks for the opportunity.
0: Amazing. Beautiful. First of all, thank you for your kind words. I'm very touched. And you know how much love I have for you and, and respect. I, I think that you've always latched on to the best people you could find around you. And 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 in doing so, you've really taken in that message. And And my brother to you is that you should have continued success and Hashem should help you. He knows what's in your heart, which is you want to do the right thing. And you have so many ideas to, to help people and he should help you bring those out in a successful way. And thank you for all that you do. And it's great. It's always great to be in touch with you. And this was very insightful for me as well. And I'm sure other people will enjoy it. And uh, thank you very much. And I wish you a great day. Thank you. You too. Thanks for listening to the Jewish Trauma Network. For additional resources, free and premium courses, leave questions or suggestions, or to support our mission, please visit jewishtrauma.com. And always remember, your life can and will be better.